Welcome to season three of Bridge the Gap, a podcast dedicated to inform, educate, and influence the future of housing and services for seniors. Powered by your supporting partners, TIS Insurance, Morrison Living, NRC Health, One Day, Argentum, The Bridge Group Construction, and Salinity. Find out more about this podcast at btgvoice.com. Welcome to Bridge the Gap Podcast, the senior living podcast with Josh and Lucas here in Chicago, continuing to bring on incredible thought leaders in the space and people that are putting their hearts and their heads behind creating products and services for the aging population. I want to welcome today Joe Abuso. He is recipes and rotation, and he is wearing the most incredible uniform Welcome to the program. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, if our if our uh, listeners are not also viewing this, I called you chef. Yeah, you look very official. People have called me chef for years, yeah. um, and in a more chef-like uh, surrounding than this yeah. place. Well, we're about to find out why. All right. So, Joe, let's let's dive deeper into your backstory uh, because clearly there's been a long journey to get to this point. Absolutely. I started out. Um, I've been a chef. Um, for 30 years, um, but always in, in fine dining. I, was, um, I know some of us are from Dallas. It was, uh, it was in the mansion on Turtle Creek in Dallas, Texas, which is a great restaurant. Uh, Cafe Annie in Houston is a great restaurant. So my, my experience, I graduated the Culinary Institute of America in New York. So all my, all my experience was at really uh, high levels of fine dining, never in, never in senior living. That started about seven years ago. Um, in a nutshell, I, I, after cooking in some great restaurants, I owned a catering company in Houston, Texas for about uh, 20 years. And even that was like super, super high end. We did all the society weddings. We did the uh, opera galas, all that kind of thing. And um, I sold it 12 years ago and I was looking for something to do. So I started consulting and I was well known in Houston, at least as a food person. So I started doing a lot of consulting. That all was, it was a nice way to make a living at that point. But about seven years ago, I got hired uh, at a senior living uh, community, a CCRC in Houston, about 200 uh, residents had been there since 1960. And they were using a a third-party provider for their food, and they weren't happy with it. And they um, wanted me to help them decide if if they could do a better job for the same money in-house. That was a long story short. Um, I did the, the feasibility study, basically, and decided that, yeah, what they were paying, they really could do a better food, better service if they did it in-house. And then I went on to um, develop their program, and I, I worked with them for about six months before we actually launched and, and replaced the third-party company with m- my program. Um, and there, this is probably six years, a little over six years, they've been using it, they still use it, they love it, uh, the residents love it, it's operating at or under budget. But it opened my eyes to the whole senior living segment. Um, again, I had all this chef experience, but not senior living experience. And I was kind of looking for a new challenge and something that would be fun to do, because I didn't want to do another fancy restaurant, I didn't want to continue catering, and this was like a brand new thing that I could use everything I'd learned. And what I... Um, you guys have known this longer than I have, but it's, it's food-wise, it can be a really bleak landscape in senior living communities. Not not all places. Some places do a, a bang-up job, but a lot of them, it's uh, what we call institutional food, like hospital food. Um, and I got to, I really got to know that industry inside and out. Um, I had to to put together that that first um, program. 
what I ended up doing was I, I, did, I did, number, did a number of consulting jobs, but I was trying to figure out a way that I could um, help as many communities as possible transition, if you will, from like an institutional food service concept to like what I would call more of a culinary hospitality, like you get in a good restaurant. Maybe not in the best restaurant in the world, but certainly the kind of restaurants that your typical resident would have enjoyed going to, um, or maybe still enjoy going to from time to time. And um, I put together a program called Recipes and Rotations, Real Food for Mom and Dad. It's a a web-based subscription service. Uh, whereby different communities can um, get a subscription, they get all my uh, menus, uh, all the recipes, and there are uh, reasons called recipes and rotations. A lot of people will know rotations is what they call the um, menu cycles. Okay. That's the, the lingo. Uh, so recipes and rotations. Um, they get access to all my menu rotations, all my uh, recipes, uh, and a lot of other tools that as I got to know the existing uh, staff, like tools that help make up for their shortcomings because the guys who cook in these places were all just salt-of-the-earth, hard-working people but in, mo- in most cases the, the food they're cooking is the best food they've ever cooked and if the food's not very good, well so this helps them kind of up their game to, uh, um, again more of a culinary hospitality kind of level. In a nutshell, that's it. What a relevant topic. You know, every operator uh, that I, and, and myself included you know, food the dining program, whatever you want to call it, is not only one of our biggest budget items as it relates to just food cost, prep, the the labor, but it's also one of the most important things to our residents. And it seems like, you know, we know that as independence um, sometimes starts to fail these older adults, anything they have control over the independence they have, not only do we want them to embrace that and take ownership of that, but they do. And food can be like one of your greatest assets for a community, but it can also be one of your biggest downfalls, um, biggest complaint areas. So outside in as a partner to the industry over the last several years, you've built this cool platform. We're just learning about uh, since we met you, I think at Argentum. Yeah. In uh, San Antonio. Yeah. So what are some of the, what are some of the trends that you're seeing that are problematic uh, in our space that are common that you might have a solution for? That's a great question because the, the situation is, you know, the, the operators aren't trying to do a bad job. Obviously, they want to serve good food. But in a lot of cases, not all cases, but, but in a lot of cases, they really just don't know how to do it. Um, I'm, I'm making some broad generalizations here. But there's a, a big tradition in senior living um, that the food really doesn't come out of a, a fine dining or even a good restaurant tradition. It comes out of a hospital tradition. Um, uh, again, big generalizations, but uh, a lot of the uh, programs started out in, in a way that all the systems and procedures and the, and the menus and the, and the kind of style of food, it came across more like putting the institution above the individual. Uh, and I think over the years that's gotten worse and worse in some cases. And now, and you guys talk about it all the time, in fact, I was just at a, uh, one of the presentations, as the greatest generation are starting to be replaced, 
uh, by the oldest baby boomers. I've seen this with my own two eyes. I'm sure you guys have too. The greatest generation vis-a-vis the baby boomers, they're just like totally different mentalities. The baby boomers have a much... They're, they're a lot pickier uh, in everything. Uh, I'm sure every facet of, of the community, but especially the food. They're just not willing to eat hospital food the rest of their lives. Um, and hospital food was like a harsh term, but it's, 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 uh, there's some truth to it. So um, all, a lot of this, again, um, systems and procedures and just operations in a lot of senior, senior living facilities really put the institution above the resident it's kind of why it's called institutional food, I think. And what I'm trying to do, and other, I'm not the first to try, but what I'm trying to do is kind of combine my two, two different worlds and help the operators who are interested in, in uh, serving better food, giving them all the tools they need. And I'm, I'm leaving off a lot of them. I mean, the basic ones are the menus and the recipes, but there's a lot of other little things. Like, for instance, I, I found out one of the hardest things for any chef to do is, is place an order. If you think about it, you've got, I mean, literally hundreds of different recipes for, you know, 75 people for breakfast and 150 people for lunch and then, you know, 75 for dinner. And they're looking yeah. at, I mean, you think of... I can't buy groceries for five people. Oh, well, there you go. Um, <laughs> exactly. It's tricky. Um, and a, and a, a, a um, better chef is able to do that. It's a skill they've learned. A lot of the guys in the senior living kitchens, not all of them, but some of them just have the hardest time doing that. And then they'll either run out of food and they're like running to the grocery store and like paying it's retail. To do oh, it's ridiculous. It blows, it blows their budget out of the water. Or um, they order too much of something and then it goes rotten, which is even, you know. So I, um, like one of the tools I gave was they can uh, punch in like super, super easy, easy friendly, how many portions they want for, for uh, you know, every breakfast, every day, every, you know, how many desserts on lunch on Tuesday or whatever. Punch it all in, they get the recipes, you know, scaled exactly for that portion, but then they can pick any date range, any date range, Monday through Friday or whatever, depending on when their deliveries come, push a button, and like literally in about a second, they get a list of every ingredient needed for every recipe in that date range. Um, based on the number of portions, so it's like this this really hard job that would they would kill an afternoon doing and do a bad job in many cases. Literally, it's just like handed to them and it's perfect. That's like one of the features. Yeah. Well, you know, and I think it's so relevant. So in our industry, we're blessed. You know, Lucas and I get to tour a lot of communities, as I'm sure you do. And some of these communities just have such awesome dining programs. Absolutely. They have robust chefs with great skill sets it's fine dining and different things like that but then there's others that you know maybe in a rural area or they may be uh, designed to appeal to people that hey maybe um, you know we can't afford the Ritz Carlton we're on a more limited budget but we still deserve quality yeah. we still de- deserve um, good food good quality so um, it sounds like your tool is a way to up the IQ uh, for let's say an average chef to be able to take that from a mediocre quality to um, a higher quality, but to keep it affordable, which I think is one of the biggest challenges with any quality food program, right? I couldn't have said it better. In fact, I don't think I did. Um, but that's that's <laughs> that's absolutely the gist of it. And also, a component I'm, I'm leaving out that I need to add: um, all the regulatory stuff is still super important. It's not like we're substituting 
really good food, but you know the, the nutritional values and all that stuff's going to have to know. Everything in the program, and I think this is obviously really important for any community, especially if it's um, beyond assisted living. Uh, everything's approved by dietitians, which dietitians has signatures, uh, the menus, the recipes. There's um, uh, daily modified diet spreadsheets included for you know people on puree diets and renal diets, etc. Um, so it, it, it's kind of the best of both worlds. You get uh, a chef developing the what the food will be, but it's all got the blessings of registered dietitians because that's you know you need both halves. Sure, it's a, a great topic to transition to on the nutritional point. Um, so. If, Food is, is a forefront in our culture right now. Um, there's a big push for uh, plant-based diets. There's a big push for clean eating, uh, you know, trying to minimize the amount of chemicals that we're putting into our bodies. Um, to Josh's earlier point, the budget for feeding uh, our elders in these communities sometimes is very, very minimal. Um, and uh, I'm hoping that we are getting to a point with companies like Amazon and buying Whole Foods. You know, they have made... Um, nutritious, organic products more attainable for people uh, that where making that switch from your traditional uh, processed, packaged food is actually um, becoming more of a budget neutral switch over to organic. And I'm thinking and hoping that there is a major play in the senior market because um, nutrition is clearly good for everybody. (laughs) Um, But if you have cognition issues, dementia, any sort of neurological effects, um, being on a low inflammatory diet could really help you in your quality of lifestyle. I'd love for you to talk and speak to that. That's, um, that's a huge, huge topic, and it's really important. One of the ways, and again, I'm generalizing a lot, and I, I don't mean to, because uh, as Josh said, some, some operators just do fantastic food. This is more addressed to the ones who, who aren't. Sure. Um, but one of the easiest ways for an operator um, to cut corners, both in terms of labor and in terms of um, um, food costs, is to really rely on processed food. I mean, instead of making lasagna, which is really not that hard to make, um, they're just buying basically big industrial TV dinners. Uh, all the soups are out of a can. Um, desserts are all frozen. Uh, they really lean on processed foods. Truth is... Um, if you cook, and most of my recipes are from scratch, not, not fancy, hard-to-cook food, but, but just made from scratch. People love meatloaf. People love fried chicken. It's, um, there's, you know, we serve meatloaf and fried chicken, but it's actually made the way your mom would make it. Uh, it's not frozen, pre-breaded fried chicken. It's not meatloaf that came like in a frozen cube. Uh, continental food, but the content is not Antarctica, that kind of thing. So um, fresh made from scratch food is just inherently healthier, um, better for the digestion, better, like you said, any kind of cognitive thing. Um, you mentioned organic. Organic, I think, from, from what I'm seeing, is still kind of a little out of reach, budget-wise. But um, still, if this is frozen food and this is food made from scratch with non-organic ingredients like real carrots and real onions and, you know, or real chicken breasts and instead of like just a frozen MSG salt Mm-hmm. You know, uh, induced haze. Um, it's going to be healthier. It's going to be less money. I mean, it's, it's it's cheaper to buy the ingredients for vegetable soup than to buy pre-made vegetable soup. It's not that hard to make. Yeah. And it just it's just so much healthier for the residents. I find working with the dietitians, it's not that hard at all to get dietitians to approve 
my menus because it's all made from scratch. And like one of the first things I worry about is, well, what's the sodium content? Well, when you make it from scratch compared to frozen entrees, like the sodiums, you get to control it. Yeah, it's um, you only put in as much salt as you need, not trying to preserve it for you know for a millennium. So yeah, a homemade, not even fancy restaurant quality food, you know, fancy restaurant quality food, but just homemade the way your mom would have made it, or the way the residents used to make it for themselves for years. That's that's what my focus is, and it's just it's healthier, it's cheaper, and the other thing is I've seen in so many places now. You know, we go in before they before they've upped their ante and they're serving really not really great food sit down with the residents yet you eat with them and boy they're miserable i mean all they do is complain about how terrible the food is and they kind of bounce off each other and it's just like a whereas when the food's good i mean they're they're like lining up down the hall and they're like you know talking about you know their grandkids and they're talking about the pleasant things because the food's pleasant oh you know this reminds me of something my aunt used to make so the whole dynamic changes when the food's good um i mean think about when you go out to to, you know restaurants with your friends it's it's a fun time um whereas if you're you know in a been a while for me, but when you're eating in a college cafeteria and the food's not so good, what do you do? You complain about the food. Well, it's the same thing whether you're 20 or you're 85. It scales. There's an emotional quality to eating. Yeah. Um, we're, we're reliant on it. We have to stop multiple times today to sustain our bodies and to make that an event and something that's pleasing. Uh, there's a huge emotional quotient to that. Absolutely. The social aspect, too, of uh, breaking bread together, yeah. for lack of a better term. I mean, that's been something societal for years and generations, way before even our great-grandparents. And for these residents, it's a very focal point. Um, you know, I, I go back to um, I think the next generation is uh, not only going to request, but demand these options but the real secret ingredient so to say is is how do we do that um on an individualized type basis and keep it somewhat affordable Um, i do think the industry has to allocate more dollars to their dining budget at some point Um, that's that's probably a problem within itself but we can do a better job of of what we're actually putting out there for the dollars that we are putting out there Um, i I totally agree what you're talking about you know as far as being the social thing and everything you know, so many residents, they've lost so much by their, at that time of their lives. They don't get to have their pets anymore in most situations. Maybe a number of their best friends have passed on. One of the, uh, the bodies don't do what they used to do. Uh, but one of the last things they have that they can really enjoy is food. And I, and, and I think it's really, you can just see their faces light up when you put something in front of them that they really like that reminds them of something, you know, their wife used to make them or their, their mom used to make them. Um, it's just really nice to see. It's one of the last things they still have. Even if they can't taste quite as well as, as we might, but they can still taste enough to enjoy it. And it just, I think it just triggers really great memories for a lot of them. I see it, and I just sit there and watch them. Uh, it's, it's cool. It's well, cool. it's still, regardless of our age, it's what fuels our body. So yeah. it's such a relevant conversation. We probably haven't talked about this enough on our podcast. Yeah. It's definitely one of those deep dive topics in senior living that touches every senior living community, no matter what provider size you are, or no matter what community, it's important to every single person because it's part of the daily life of every person, right? Well, so. and looking out into the future as the boomers age into this space, I think of uh, my parents, I think of your parents, and I'll tell you what, 
to say they're picky is an understatement, and it's not even really just picky. They're educated. Yeah. Um, they have a diverse sense of taste, and I'm telling you, that healthy component is not is going to be a non-negotiable. They're not going to sit down and eat GMO, MSA, M- MSG-ridden food. They're going to be very um, educated on, on what they have. They're going to be educated on what they want and the reasons why, because it's going to affect their health. Well, and absolutely. So one of the things too, I mean, we're seeing it. Um, we're now, I think some senior living providers are actually going to the hospitality industry to think, you know, these these next generation, they're demanding much more healthcare de- delivered in a hospitality way. No different. The boomer generation has high expectations because the restaurant industry delivers at a high level. So, you know, I think we're going to have to take some wisdom from some guys like yourself that have come from that world, uh, the tools that you've used through the years to uh, deliver high quality, high value, and we're going to have to adapt and adopt, you know, those kind of things in our space, no longer the status quo, right? And it'll be better for everybody. Right. I mean, it really will be better for everybody. And, and Lucas, you're absolutely right. Um, I mean, this is the oldest I've ever been. And I mean, it's, I mean, it's like people only 20, 25 years older than me are moving in. So um, they've never done without. I mean, it's like the Woodstock generation. God bless them. They, um, they've never done without. It's not as opposed to like the, the greatest generation lived through the depression. I mean, I see, I've, again, it was new to me like seven years ago. They're pretty, not all the time, but there's a lot of truth to saying they were happy to eat three square meals a day. Mm. Whereas the baby boomers, forget about it. I mean, they, they, that's a good place to start, but they want everything to taste good. They want things to remind themselves of when they went to Italy or they went to France. And they've, they've lived a really good life, and they're not going to stop now. Food's an experience, right? Yeah. It's just like any other experience in your senior living community. So how are we making food the experience that our residents want? So I think that's really cool. That's, that's, that's yeah. it in a nutshell. Yeah. Well, Joe, this is a healthy conversation. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it's a conversation we need to be having more. I think as, 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 as the future is upon us, we're going to have to have um, a more dialogue in this category. It's going to be something that's going to be demanded, like you said, Josh. So appreciate you coming out oh, and uh, spending so some time much. with us. Absolutely, Joe. Thank you for having me. It's awesome to have you on the show. Thanks for your time. Right, we'll we'll connect to you in our show notes so people can connect with you. And thanks for listening to another great episode of Bridge the Gap. For a full library of episodes, merchandise, and the 2020 conference tour schedule, visit btgvoice.com. Join the conversation on social media by following at BTG Voice, and we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode.